podcast with me phil and me paul and on this week's show we're going back to the world of target novelizations and we've picked a sixth doctor one haven't we we have yes we announced this on facebook um and and twitter because we, we weren't sure when we when we were last here <laughs> just the forces to go through with it <laughs> i know i know and yes we are this week reviewing terror of the vervoids I'd like to say, <laughs> what, just what, terror uh, of watching it. I know. What have any of you at home done to deserve this? Is all I'm going to say. Did we, what did we do to deserve <laughs> it? was me that selected it. Of course. Of course. Listen on. We might like it. You never know. <laughs> well, 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 stranger things might have happened. Not on this bloody show, eh? But <laughs> <laughs> anyway, that's a taste of things to come. Uh, but first, as usual, let's have some news. And uh, well, the news is fairly, fairly scarce at the moment, isn't it? It is. It really is. Um, but obviously, you weren't here for the last episode. Um, no, you what, did a bumper-packed news, news Bumper-packed news, yes, all five minutes of it. Um, of course, whilst you were away that week, Paul, that it was announced that Moffat was doing a next, you know, sign up for Series 10 of Doctor yes. Who. Um, what did you think of that? Because obviously we don't know your opinion on this yet, have we? <laughs> no. <laughs> I'm sure everybody, this is the one that everybody wants to hear. Everyone's, everyone's on the edge of their seat, Paul. Come on. Um... Yeah, uh, it, it doesn't necessarily bother me. I quite like last series. I, I obviously haven't seen series nine yet, so I have no opinion on that. No, <laughs> Unlike no. quite a lot of Doctor Who fans. But, uh, <laughs> and I don't know, probably before it's aired, I will have an opinion, but there you go. Um, <laughs> no, yeah, I, I don't see that that's necessarily a problem. No, I, I don't. I don't either. I think the problem is has got too many detractors and it's just sort of, everyone just thinks it's time for a change. I, know, I took your point from last week about whether it was time for him just to become the producer, script, stroke script editor. Mm, rather than writing, let, yeah. And let somebody else take that, but I don't know. I mean, the, the problem we've had, with what we said before, is we actually quite like his writing more than we do his producing scripts editing. So I'm not well, quite... yeah, exactly. And I, I think the, the, I think the point, one of the point, other points I made as well, was the fact who the hell is going to take over from him. Yeah, I honestly can't think of anybody at the moment who would do it. And I, I mean, as I said, you know, the last time we we're here, it was uh, Mark Gatiss. His name always crops up, but I, I don't think he's the right person because he hasn't really turned in a decent script for Doctor Who for ages, is he? I know you like uh, Robert Sherwood, but but then perhaps that's, perhaps that perhaps that might be the thing. Perhaps let him become producer and showrunner, yeah, and let Moffat become writer, yeah. Everyone's a winner. Yeah, everyone's yeah. a winner. Everyone's maybe, a winner. Yeah. maybe that would be the way to do it. But no, I've got, I've got no. I mean, it, this is, this is not. Uh, as far as I'm concerned, he's, he's not the, the worst thing that's happened to Doctor Who. So I'm quite no. happy if he carries on. No, same here. Same I, here. I may have changed my opinion by the time we get to the end of Series Nine. <laughs> <laughs> Moffitt out, it'll be. Yes. Well, I only think he's a liar, don't I? So <laughs> yes. Anything he says now, pull the other one, but. <laughs> Uh, but now we're on the subject of talking about Moffat, um, in the last, uh, since we were sort of last on the air, he's come, uh, Stephen, Moffat, I was say, Stephen Moffat's come out, um, <laughs> but he's, he's come out and said that he feels guilty uh, for changing the outcome of the time war. I don't necessarily, sort of, why you should feel guilty about that, to be honest. I mean... I think it was the right thing to do. 
It was. I mean, I've, 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 I've said before that I, the, the one thing I didn't like really about the when it came back was I could understand why Russell T Davis did it was was to get rid of the Time Lords. Mm, no baggage and everything. Yeah. Yeah. But it was one of the things that sort of left the Doctor that had no real one to bring him in, bring him to heel, so to speak, when he got out of hand. Well, no, that, that was always the, the, the you know, the, the core of the show. He was on the run from his own people, wasn't yeah. he? Yeah. You know, he stole the TARDIS. He was constantly on the, on the run. He would never sort of, you know, cave into their authority or anything like that. It, and when he did, he was under sufferance, you know, it was... It allowed him to be rebellious. Yeah, that was the whole once, point, once, wasn't once it? Once he became effectively the 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 near god time lord, mm. who was he rebelling against? Exactly himself. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So mm. I, I think what I think what um, what the angle Moffat was coming from, he, I think he felt guilty for undoing what Russell T Davis had, had put down before him. Yeah. Uh, which oh, that's that's the writer's prerogative, though. It is, and the way you know, he did it, the way he did it was, I think, clever. And because it was the fiftieth, you could sort of, it sort of gave it an excuse. It wasn't just he just dropped it somewhere in a run of the mill episode. That oh no, they're not really dead. Well, no, that's you know, yeah, yeah. I, um, I, I think though, what Moffat, Moffat says, he feels guilty, and and he he says, and to quote him, here, he says, "My defence, however feeble." Is that given the chance the doctor would do exactly that? And as it was his birthday, how could I deny him that chance to reverse the outcome of the time war? Um, but the way it's left, RTD's legacy is still intact because yeah. um, Tennant's doctor would have forgotten the fact that he'd actually taken part in hiding Gallifrey rather than destroying it. Yeah, I mean, it was so. It so was, that legacy was, is still there. You know, it wasn't the coming out of the shower and it was all a dream, was it? No, it's, no, exactly. It, at least at least he actually did make it a... Yeah. So so you had RTD's Doctor still thought he'd destroyed Gallifrey and that, that was his version of the Time War, but then you had Moffat's Doctor. He had a different outcome for the Time War. He remembered yeah. what happened. So um, I think it... I think it, re- I think it worked. I think it was, a, it was a brilliant anniversary story. I don't think he's got anything to feel guilty about. No. Absolutely nothing. Absolutely it's nothing. just 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 the professionalness of the writer to another writer, I suppose. But yeah, that's yeah. it. That's it. Now, um, talking of other history of Doctor Who and everything, apparently it's come out that Peter. Uh, I don't know. I'm pronounce his name right, rightly or wrongly. Is it Capaldi or Capaldi? I always say Capaldi. Yeah. Well, that's, that's what I say, but I, I I think it's wrong. But there we yeah. go. But it's what I say. Because so. other people say Peter Capaldi. But yeah. then I've always thought of Jim Capaldi. Mm. Yeah, so and that's how his name is pronounced. It's Capaldi, so I don't know. Um but anyway, after a, a recent visit uh, by Caroline Ford to the Doctor Who set, um Capaldi's all very much for um bringing her back into the show. Um what do you think about that? And she's up for it as well, obviously she would be because she hasn't really done much <laughs> since she left. <laughs> <laughs> um oh. <laughs> It's cruel. Yeah, it is, uh, yeah. Uh, no, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> and why I, is that, Paul? Why is that? Why would you want to I, see Caroline fall back in, in Doctor Who? I, I was I was never one of Susan's biggest fans, I have to say. Mm, 
And it wasn't just it, the I, being I, the. I, I kind of agree with what Caroline Ford said. Um, um, well, I think when I was, I think she said this at Galley actually, um, that it was kind of a wasted opportunity because they promised her character was going to be very alien and, and otherworldly and intelligent, and then that just all forgotten. She was just forever tripping over, spraining her ankle, getting captured, screaming, fainting. You know, you're back to the you know the stock sort of heroine of the 1960s, yeah. aren't you? Um, maybe she came back now, it would be different. Who knows? Uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I'm not quite sure. What, I mean, I suppose it could bring an interesting dynamic. But You're not convinced, are you? I'm not convinced, no. You're not convinced. Oh, dear. No, I, I don't know. I think it might be interesting. I think it might be interesting, because, I mean, they haven't really brought back that many old companions, have they? Well, done in Sarah no. Jane and um, Joe Grant was actually done in the Sarah Jane Adventures. He wasn't even in the yeah, um, and so was the Brigadier actually in the Sarah Jane Adventures. So um, they haven't really done gone down that road really in Doctor Who. No, you know, to be totally honest. So I don't know, mate. It could be interesting, especially it's a. Member- we could have had the Cyber Season. <laughs> we, oh God! Um, but the, th- the thing is, I'm going to say though is that um, it's a member of the Doctor's family. Yeah, could, could, could be that. I think that's what the way I'm seeing it from. It could be interesting from that point of view. It would. I just don't. I just think it. I, it's a question of how they do it. I don't think you could bring her back. It'd be difficult, I think, to bring her back full time. No, no, that would be I think just a one-off, wouldn't it? It was slightly yeah. great, and then I'm not quite sure how you bring her back and get rid of her again. That isn't a a uh... nod. Yeah, I, I mean, I know. In, I know when we reviewed the Five Doctors Target novelization, that they did expand on her life, didn't they? Yeah. Um, after the Doctor left her, so maybe they could sort of touch on that a bit more. She's got her own life. Why would she want to go run off with the Doctor or her grandfather again? Mm. I'm assuming she's got her own. She's got a husband. She's got family. Who knows? Are yeah. they are they half Time Lord? You know, I think there's there's a lot of things to. To, to sort of discuss there. I think. <laughs> you say, are they half-time entertainment? <laughs> <laughs> They're a brass band. <laughs> That's what they are. <laughs> I just imagine they're pushing them with cattle prods. <laughs> Dance for me. <laughs> oh, dear. Oh, well, so, so I think it's a good idea. You think it's a bad idea. So. I, yeah. I, yeah. It's, yeah. yeah. As basically, because I was never overly keen on Susan so it's probably that's going to cloud any, any news about bringing her back <laughs> you might as well bring Adric back as far as I'm concerned <laughs> now you just been ridiculous <laughs> you had to go and spoil it didn't you and a nice little, nice little conversation about bringing back the Doctor's old companions and you went and spoiled it with Adric <laughs> oh, oh Andrew Smith doesn't listen to this podcast <laughs> Oh dear! Right, so so to to wrap up the news section, unfortunately, we've got a couple of um, actors who are connected to Doctor who have passed away. Um, first was Bob Hornery, um died at the age of eighty three. Um, he played uh, the pilot in the Horns of Nymon, uh, which was if you don't know already, it's a uh, Tom Baker saw from nineteen seventy nine. Um, so he died just two days before his eighty fourth birthday. Hmm. That's a shame. And the actor Peter Howe, I'd say the actor Peter, not Peter Howe, the composer. Um, Peter, the actor Peter, uh, Peter Howe died at the age of 96. Yes. Uh, now, he was he played the investigator in the last episode 
of the Mutants, which is the John Pertwee story from 1972. So, um, yeah, I mean, there weren't any other stories. That that was just it, really. Um, but I thought it was just worth worth mentioning because I think that they were both quite old when they were, appeared in their respective stories, weren't they? Really? Yeah, I mean, this, this is this is more one of those ones. Oh, I didn't know he was still around, isn't it? Yeah, really? that's right. That's right. But um, I mean, there's only one thing I want to to mention about Peter Howe. Actually, he played Saruman in the um, BBC audio play of Lord of the Rings. Mm. Um, and I've got to be honest, I didn't realise it was it was him at all. But um, it's one of my favourite bits of the audio play when when he when he appears because he he just got the uh, which they didn't really do in the films. But Saruman's got a very um, soothing voice. It sort of lulls you. Into into his like web of deceit sort of thing. That's that's his sort of his power. He tricks you, and his voice just suited it perfectly. So that's all I wanted to say, really. So I mean, I mean, bravo for that as well, to be honest. So anyway, um, so that's it for the that is it for the um, for the you know for the news. But we have now got a long overdue return to Omega's Tat Corner. You pester me with trinkets. Now you've come trance with the with the tat this time, haven't you? I just just seems to be my role with this podcast. It does. Just, <laughs> you are the hunter of tat. Um, now, first up from entertainment, as, as opposed to ghosts, as I was last week. <laughs> Did you find any ghosts this time? Um, yeah, I had a couple of strange experiences, but oh, but not not nothing to talk about in, in a Doctor Who podcast, anyway. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> Okay, well, first up in Tat Corner, um, from our friends at Entertainment Earth, bringing Hollywood home, we have some Doctor Sonic Screwdriver barbecue tongs. Yes. Yes. Um, what drew you to these, Paul? Um, <laughs> there was a couple of things, really. And I understand this is obviously for, for an American audience, but I'm looking at barbecue tongs and thinking, coming October. <laughs> I know. That's right. They're not available to buy yet, everybody. They're, they are be available in October this year. <laughs> and I always do like a good November barbecue. <laughs> oh, dear. Now, basically, they are in the shape of Matt Smith's um, and now Peter Capaldi's um, Sonic Screwdriver. Um, and basically, you take the... It's like a cap. The top of the screwdriver is like a cap. You slide it off and the tongs, the, the tongs, the tongs are inside. That's it, really. There's not much else you can say about a pair of tongs, is there? Well, th- th- there is something else that catches my eye on this. The price? Uh, well, the, the price is 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 reasonably steep. Yes, at uh, forty dollars nearly. Yeah, but there's other, something else. It's the fact that it requires two AA batteries. Oh, don't do it! Makes a sonic screwdriver noise every time you flip a burger. Which obviously, obviously, it does make a sonic. But I'm just thinking, oh, good batteries in a naked flame. That's, that works well. Use at your own peril. I think this is the tagline to this one. Oh, dear. For, well, for this um, health and safety hazard, um, you, you can purchase when it eventually comes out in October, ready for the UK barbecue season. <laughs> I'm also, also sorry. I'm sorry to interrupt you there. No, you're but not. I've actually just seen. <laughs> I've just seen actually what, what might make it safe is the, the where the uh, batteries are in heat-proof plastic handles. Heat-proof plastic. That's the. Well, that's a oh the, the ones of the modern age. Is all I'm going to say for. Yes. Um, yes, well, you can buy these Def Trap tongs for uh, the price of $39.99. One cent short of $40 for some barbecue tongs. <laughs> An extra cent towards your medical health care. 
Yeah, I, I think that's disgusting. But actually, the description says doesn't kill, doesn't wound, doesn't maim. <laughs> I think it might. <laughs> I, I think they do protest too much there. <laughs> oh, God. Anyway, moving on. Uh, next up from Entertainment Earth, bringing Hollywood home. We have some Doctor Who fourth Doctor arm warmers. <laughs> yes, which, um, which is just obviously what everyone needs. Exactly. Um, yeah, they're just sleeves you pull up over your arms if you can't afford a jumper with sleeves on. <laughs> it's, 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 it's something produced by lazy knitters. <laughs> well, I'll put it this way. If you get, if you get um, t- caught short... I can do short... the arms, but I can't do the shoulders, I'm well, afraid. Well, if, if you get caught short wearing your seventh Doctor tank top... Yeah. You, you you can pull these up, these fourth Doctor R ones, and complete make a complete jumper. You see, that's what it is. It's all there, isn't it? You see, it's all there. Now, um, you you actually, but this says it's only for the female Hoovian. <laughs> sexist bastards. I was going to say yes. I mean, I don't yeah, know why I, that's why it, it just you know it has to be women. Crikey. Men have obviously got naturally warm arms. Obviously. It is. Warm, manly arms. <laughs> and the rugged smell of a pipe as well. <laughs> um, now, you, you, when you looked at these earlier, that this website has now changed, doesn't it? Yes, when I looked at these, these were, these were hot off the truck. <laughs> and now they're out of stock, so... It must be well, cold. It must be cold in America at the moment, or something. Uh, yes, they're obviously waiting till the November barbecue season. To <laughs> <laughs> oh God! Well, these are when they eventually have them in stock. These are available at the price of fourteen dollars ninety nine cents, which I suppose that's quite reasonable, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I, I have no idea. I don't know how much arm warmers cost. Well, exactly. Um, <laughs> Not being a woman, I haven't looked for them. Or you, or you could just <laughs> pop a coat on, really, couldn't you? <laughs> but, so, <laughs> simple, practical advice there from the Hoosie podcast. Uh, save your own and pop a coat on. Anyway, now next up from Forbidden Planet. We haven't mentioned Forbidden Planet for uh, what seems like quite a long time, actually. Um, yeah. But this is peculiar, this one, isn't it? Yes, well, we're not quite sure what, what, what's, what, what, it, what we're what buying. It, yeah, exactly. Now, the, the product is called a Doctor Who TARDIS PVC Neon Table Light. Now, again, electricity and PVC doesn't seem to be a good mix, if you ask me. And all the description is... <laughs> well, you, you don't know those sort of... <laughs> well, yeah. You need to go back a few episodes and go back to some of your websites. Okay? Exactly. Um, yeah. <laughs> Um, now, the description for this is just neon tubing light with printed PVC insert on table base. That's it. That's all it says. Um, now, when you look at the picture here, it isn't even the pi- a picture of the product itself. It's actually a CG, CG rendered version. We've got an artist. We've got a computer's impression. Of what the product looks like. Um, yeah, it just looks like a... Well... A TARDIS on a base, really, with a bit of new tubing around the, around the outside. That oh, it could well be. That's what it is. Yeah, um, we have no idea. Now, as usual with Forbidden Planet, um, it comes with these really odd um, savings, um, and it's a sixteen percent off saving. But it's right. not even due into their warehouse until the thirty first of July. I know. So um, it was twenty four ninety nine. It is now going for the price of twenty 
99. That's in pounds. It's pounds sterling, this one. As this is pre-order, answer no. Were you getting... If you if you did order it at 24.99, are you going to get the refund on that? Well, it's, it's weird because it, usually it says available at the pre-order price. Yeah. It doesn't say that is the pre-order price, does it? No. And if they reduce it any more before the 31st of July, are you going to see that? And if, yes. they, if they put a put a 4.25% saving... <laughs> Are you going to see I that? just love their odd saving numbers. It's brilliant. <laughs> Excellent. Now, um, last up in Tat Corner, this is something we'd actually mentioned before, but we had very little detail about it, didn't we? And this was the yes. Doctor Who... It's called Clue in America. It's Cluedo um, in the UK. Yeah. Um, now, on Amazon, this is... I don't think we even had a price at the time, did we? No. No. It's uh, got- no we, we literally had a picture... We had, we, had, we had a name and a, and a blank picture saying... Uh, it was a placeholder. Still, still yes. to be decided. Yes, it was a placeholder's artist's impression of what the box is going to look like. Um, it's going for thirty nine dollars um, fourteen cents, and it's a two yeah. percent saving if, 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 if you buy it from exactly. Amazon.com. They've obviously been going to Forbidden Planet for their ideas on percentage savings. Yes, indeed. <laughs> um, now it's um, <laughs> it's available to buy now as well. So it's, obviously, we miss when this this actually did come out properly. Yeah. Um, but it says, uh, classic Clue gameplay with a Doctor Who twist. Six suspects include Amy and Rory, uh, Pond, Strax, Clara, Jenny, River Song and Madame Vastra. Uh, game board features famous plants visited by the Doctor. Six custom weapons, lipstick, sonic screwdriver, vortex manipulator, Strax gun, Clara Cyberman gun and The Moment. I think they're sort of clashing at straws a little bit there. With yes, they'd run out. Hadn't they? Yes, that that well remembered Clara Cyberman gun. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yeah, I no idea. No idea with that one. Now the product description. Um, this is great actually. Um, Doctor what? Who Doctor Who Clue places your favourite characters on a search through the universe to rescue the Doctor. Playing as his closest friends and allies, players must reveal who amongst them the Dales condition and mind control to mislead the Doctor. What powerful weapon was used in the crime, and where the doctor's been taking the kidnapping, thereby saving him from the Dales. Yes. Yes. Well, we talked about this earlier, didn't we? We wondered yeah. what it is about Yorkshire that's got to be saved from. <laughs> oh, the other, the other, the other one was. Yeah. Was, was that actually it's Jim Dale and family have kidnapped him and are now showing him endless carry on films that you've they've got, got to save him. They've got that clip on. <laughs> Of Jim Dale going down that staircase on that on that trolley loop. It's on a loop. It's on a loop. <laughs> well, they tied they tied the doctor to the trolley and are constantly <laughs> pushing him downstairs. I used to look at Brother Windsor's saggy old knockers. <laughs> oh dear! I wish I'd said that now. Never mind. <laughs> I never understood why she was a, a big pin-up. I've got no idea why, but oh well. Um, I suppose to young kids at the time, or young males at the time, that was the only um, closest thing you got to nudity on television was a carry-on film, wasn't it? So, I presume so. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, yeah, the Dales. What? What? Are, to, to make the spelling mistake once, but to do it twice. I think mean, this is obviously someone's written this with with their autocorrect on, haven't they? Uh, now, do you know what? I reckon someone did this on a Mac. Yeah. Right, because every time I um, put our podcast up, mm. and if I... Have to... <laughs> it was correct says, do you really want to do this? <laughs> it keeps trying to delete it. Every... 
Like, <laughs> I see you're making a mistake. <laughs> yes, no, but every time I go to type Dalek, it yeah. also corrects it to Dales. Right. So I reckon that whoever put this uh, description up on on Amazon uh, used the Mac. Or sent it to Amazon, yeah. To say yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. So that's a, <laughs> a bit of geeky inside knowledge there for you. <laughs> yeah, so if ever our podcast, our website talks about the Dales. <laughs> yes, the way you... <laughs> We are, we are not now watching. And if, I've, and, 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 if I, and if I have to put David Tennant in it, it takes the the, uh, the second N out as well. It's, 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 he's, got, he's got two N's in Tennant, hasn't he? It wants to, yeah. as a as a as a tenant in the building, he wants to spell it that way all the time. So, <laughs> so, so yeah. we're actually lodging with Jim Dale. Aren't we? we are lodging with Jim. We're a tenant of Jim Dale now, in the Dales. In the Dales. <laughs> Okay, everybody. Well, that's it for the news, and that is it for Tack Corner. So, uh, coming up next, unfortunately, is a review of <laughs> Ter- it off as far as, as, far we, as we could do of Terror of the Vervoids. So, for another week, then, that was the news. Right then, everybody at home, it's time for another Target Book Review. And as we said earlier, this time we are covering Terror of the Vervoids, written by Pip and Jane Baker. Uh, this book was released in September 1987, a year after the transmission of the story on television. And it's my turn to go first, isn't it? It is. Yes. Uh, this is pretty dire, really, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm going to say, I love, no, I love, I'm not going to say, I, can't even, <laughs> I even started to choke on trying to say. I mean, I mean, was there really going to be any other beginning, really, to, to this review? Uh, it, it's just, it's just awful. I mean, I mean, courtroom dramas should be compelling and and really interesting. You should sort of be shocked at the twists and turns and everything. Um, and I think that I mean, talking about the whole trial of the Time Lord season, it, it was just a a really flimsy coat hanger, wasn't it, to hang all yes. the, this stuff on? It yes. really was. It's yes, most of it ended up on the floor, didn't it? Oh, it did. Yeah. <laughs> oh God, yeah. Big time. Um, <laughs> Bottom of the wardrobe. This must this fellow. Yeah, and, and I think that yeah, this 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 I think this one hit the deck with the biggest thump of all. Actually, it's just um, now I must I do feel terrible speaking ill of the dead here because you know Jane Baker um, passed away not that long ago. Um, yeah, but everything I've seen them write, like TV shows I've liked and they've written for uh, Space nineteen ninety nine and Doctor Who, their scripts have been awful. They they hmm. really they re- I just think they've just been awful and I can see what they're trying to do with this to try to make it into a um, a who done it. So next week we're doing Mark of the Rock. Ronnie, yeah. Oh <laughs> God, please no. No. Um, sure. Yeah, I mean they're trying to. Do, I mean it says it's meant to be like an Agatha Christie murder mystery, and it's anything but that. Yeah, you don't have to use it? the little grey cell as do you? To no, you really don't. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's. I mean, the other thing as well. I mean, obviously we we do like a as usual we're doing a comparison to the uh, to the televised version and there's no difference there's actually no difference at all they there's they don't try i mean they they try, i think she puts an they put an extra courtroom scene in um, which is oh this is really what it needed yeah exactly and that's and that's right at the beginning when um the grenville character takes the overalls to yeah. pass himself as, as one as one of the like the, the dock loaders or, or whatever um and that was it. The rest of it, it is it, the dialogue is identical. Each scene is identical. And I think the only time you get any sort of kind of um, real character development, and that's for uh, for Professor Lasky, 
and that's right at the very end. Then she gets killed off. Yeah, the only the only other character that <clears throat> actually gets any sort of warmth or backstory to or anything is Kimba and the watch and going home to see his, his son, son, yeah, and that, yeah. To which is yeah, that, that's actually quite a. And then he dies. <laughs> yeah, but it, but, it, but it sort of does lead up to the oh, you know, that you actually do feel sorry that this character's not with the rest are just yeah, gone pile them up in the corner. <laughs> yeah, it's a human compost. <laughs> yeah. The thing the thing is though, when when you you're giving if you want if a writer wants them to someone to care about their character, you you do all that backstory and character development, and you and you build it up throughout the story, so you do care about them. Yeah. And if you're going to kill them off, then you kill them off after you've yeah. built them up a little bit. But what they did with Kimber and Professor Lasky, they did this character development and then immediately killed them. So yeah. you, you weren't given any chance to, because I mean, the Professor Lasky character is a complete, how can I put it, sort of, um, not a very nice, pleasant character, really. No. Very driven and very rude and abrupt and brusque and, and, and everything. Um, so at the end, you, you, they sort of give you this character development about how... Um, her mother died when she was young, and um, her father was really strict, and and that sort of shaped her into what she is now, and so, so on and so on. And you get all this, and it's, you should have that a few chapters before. It, it wouldn't have been so bad yet if you'd have even had that as almost as a as a prologue sort of bit before mm. of her childhood. Yeah, and then we jump forward. We're in the ship, and she's there, and here we go. Exactly. It's just, it's just really, really, it's just a really weird thing to do. But n- n- none of the three scientists are anything at all lovable, are they? Or anything that particularly care about. They are so all driven. Oh, yeah. Actually, all of the people in authority in this story, and none of them are likable. I mean, the Commodore isn't likable either. No, the the only thing the the only thing that actually got right, I think, one of the things having said about not giving anyone a backstory, they actually managed to give the Commodore a backstory by claiming his knowledge of the Doctor beforehand and working mm. with the Doctor. So that sort of gave you a relationship there and some sort of backstory. The fact that he he knows, he grudgingly knows that actually, as much as he he want, doesn't want the Doctor there because he knows trouble's coming. Yeah, the one person you he wants there because there's trouble coming is the Doctor. Yeah, so, so you do yeah. get that sort. It does. He's that bit of his character does come out come out rather well on this, and I think they do do that well without having to give him a backstory. Mm. Yeah, but everybody else, everybody is else just, was just so yeah. just a name on the paper, wasn't it? Yeah, um, it wasn't anything. I mean, I mean even Mel. <laughs> Well, I, I was going to say to give. Him, I was about to talk about Mel actually. So to give him some sort of credit for this, they did try to accentuate Mel's intelligence a bit more. Yes, um, they tried to sort of give her um, a bit more of insight into her thought process and how she was sort of arrived at certain decisions and, and sort of make out that you know she's got this um, total recall yeah. of, of, of things and she's a computer programmer, so she's intelligent and so forth and so forth. Um, so I, I'm sort of Kind of pleased they did that because I, I, I sort of kind of feel sorry for Bonnie Langford because I think she was. I mean, I know we're talking about the TV version now, but I, it's very difficult to get. Oh, do you? Oh, do you feel sorry for Mel because she's played by Bonnie Langford? <laughs> <laughs> well, do you know what? When I, when I actually watched um, Terror of the Vervoids for for, uh, for this, I didn't 
think she was as bad as I had remembered her to be in this particular story. She was still screaming everything, but she wasn't... um, Because this was her first story, wasn't it? Yeah. So um, it it was just a weird way she was just dropped in. Again, she was given no real backstory. You You still don't know, even in the book. I mean, this is the ideal opportunity to go into a little bit more how she met the Doctor. Yeah. And there's nothing. No. There's absolutely nothing. There's Again, there's no character development for her at all, or, or character history for her, other than what we already knew from, from the, TV, uh, the, the uh, televised version. So um, I always think when, when you're writing a book of, of, a, of, a, of a, a script, and especially as they wrote the script as well, that's their ideal opportunity to put all the things in that, that, that were dropped... For, for budget reasons or running time or, or whatever. And they just didn't take it. You just don't get the feeling that there was actually anything. No, <laughs> that that, no, that's it. Reason. No. You... That they, they wrote this like this because yeah. that's how they write. Yeah, and I've got a funny feeling you're absolutely right there. You know, you sort of hear about actors saying that they develop all the characters first, then they get to the plot, yeah. you know, in their minds. So they yeah. know how a character would react in certain places. And you just don't get the feeling they do. You just get the feeling that the plot was written and then the names were dropped in. Yeah, that's it. They could, they could, they could have written this as, as person A, person B, person C. Yeah, and they just conjured and up just, a name. Yeah, out of, they, the, they, the names out of a hat or something, couldn't they? They'd done find and replace person A with Grenville or yeah. whatever. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It, it just... it's such, I just think it was such a... For, for, for a, okay, it was only like a year had passed when this this target organisation came out, and also I don't know when they actually wrote this book um, yeah. be, between the televised version and this this book being uh, published. But you would have thought <clears throat> if your story on television had been fairly lambasted, really, by by the fans and, <laughs> and, and, and the critics and everything, and by me, yes. <laughs> That they would actually take the opportunity to, to correct those things for the book. But as I say, I don't know how much time they were given. But as it appears, they appear to be quite happy with what they put, they, what they put on television. <laughs> I'm, so, just, I'm just looking at rather ironically, if you look at Wikipedia for, for this Terror of the Voids, you get, <laughs> this article's plot summary may be too long or excessively detailed. <laughs> <laughs> Please help improve it by removing unnecessary details. <laughs> Making it more concise. Making, there's, there's critics everywhere, isn't there? There is, isn't there? <laughs> well, actually, there's only actually there's there's one other change that I um, had sort of uh, caught, uh, picked up on um, was when um, Bruckner, I think he shut a Vervoid's arm in the door and it severed it. Yeah, and it went scrabbling across the floor. That wasn't in the the televised version was it because oh, must... they'd meant to have made electronic things. exactly I must admit when I, when I put the DVD on I kept popping out in the kitchen <laughs> a lot so I might have missed that bit so <laughs> it didn't actually hold my hold my attention so oh dear your uh, wife had never known you to, to make so much tea no she you... hadn't no no oh god <laughs> Now this one had to be watched while she while she, uh, after she'd gone to bed because of this was even you know, I'm a massive Doctor Who fan. Even this one's too embarrassing to watch in front of my family. So, <laughs> well, I mean, when, when I come to, well, I read the, I haven't watched, I haven't watched this episode for ages. I actually, no, had, me neither, me neither. I actually had to order the Trial of a Time Lord DVDs to, so we could actually do this, so I could actually do this review because I'd just been putting it off. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, oh, the fear. <laughs> yeah. So I actually sort of went into reading the book, having not watched it for ages, and just thinking, mm. oh, come on, it can't be as bad as I remember it. And you read the book, and it was just reading the book and thinking, oh, I just don't know whether I can continue with this. And then you're thinking, oh, well, I'll put it on, because it might not seem so bad now, watching the telly now, I've read the book, and then you just watch it, and you're just thinking, this has just got to be one of the worst. Yes, yes. It, it... Shots, uh, costumes... Sets, sets everything it's just, just so bad no I, I know this has got nothing to do with the with the with the, um it's almost as if with, like, they got the script and thought i can't be bothered uh, yeah, designers, yeah, I you know, know. I know. no one's gonna like this episode anyway so why am i gonna bother you know they just walked off the set of el dorado <laughs> it just screamed 1980s at you didn't it it was just sort yeah of like, oh it's weird um but I, the, yeah, well, and, I was going to say you talked about everything with you know the, the way it was shot, the sets, the, the costumes, everything was 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 awful. I know when it we're we're sort of going off topic a little bit about from the book at the moment. I know we're sort of concentrating on the um, um, on the televised version, but really there is no difference between the two, is there? To be honest, no. but um, this was actually the last time the BBC Radiophonic Workshop provided a score for the series. Yeah, which is a pretty ignominious end to to, yeah. to their uh, output, really, isn't it? So, um, yeah, but actually, I didn't actually mind the score to this, if I'm perfectly honest. <laughs> it, it, it wasn't the bit that spoiled it for me, let's put it No, <laughs> no, exactly, exactly. And I must admit, I do think they, I mean, I, I actually do think Michael Jason was probably the best thing in, in the courtroom scenes, to be yeah. honest. Um, and I think that came across quite okay on the written page, to be honest with you. Yeah. They sort of capture that sort of arrogance and the superiority. Now, whether they sort of built that around Michael Jason's performance or that's how they actually wrote it, and, and Michael Jason just in, just didn't have to give his own interpretation. He just he, he, maybe he said so. It, it, the coach just left off the page to him, so <laughs> yeah. which I severely doubt. But um, yeah, but I think that's one of the one of the better aspects. I think. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. Now. Yeah, I think he, he certainly. He certainly chewed the scenery, which I think was probably what this needed, to be honest, yeah. just to sort of try and lift it a little bit. But um, but there's another um, another couple of things that just sort of made me made me chuckle. Was it sort of right towards the end? Um, there's a line in it says the Inquisitor became intrigued by the Who Done It. I thought, I thought, <laughs> He's the only one. Exactly, that's exactly what I put. She's the only one then. <laughs> Yeah, I, I wasn't intrigued at all. I, I could wait for it to be I mean, over. You know. To be honest, if I'm going to say, it's not a bad idea. Mm. You've got three different plots running. Yeah. You've got the scientists and the, the plants. You've got the hijacking of the ship. Yeah. And you've got the the science... Well, you, and you've got the whodunit as to who's doing the, who's doing the first couple of killings or yeah. whatever. Yeah. And that sort of... It could well be. It could be a good story. There's, there's the basis of a good story there. I just think they then thought they got, they got too, felt themselves too clever. I think, yeah, I think, and I'm... got so caught into, oh, we can do all these different strands that they never actually nailed one of them. No, and no, it, it's... like I say, didn't, didn't give you any, any character at all that you, you cared about. They, they could have easily have dropped one of the plot threads instead of yeah. all these like three, you know. You know that you got the the vervoid thing. Um, I mean, like the the, the, um, the half woman, half vervoid. Yeah. In the isolation, that went nowhere. No. It went absolutely nowhere. It's um, rooted. Yeah. Hey. 
No, it went, honestly, it went absolutely nowhere. It went nowhere on the, on the t- television version. It went nowhere in the book version either. Uh-huh. It didn't serve any purpose. I, I, I need to add some sort of thing of, well, what are they doing in that isolation, which they could have quite have easily, what are they doing in that fenced-off area in the hold with the vervoid yeah. pods? They could have just was... easily transferred it there. Um, <laughs> getting, uh, back, getting back to the... Getting back to reading the book. Reading the book, I've sort of got this image of this sort of almost like hospital room. Mm. And it being like almost like a four-poster bed with the curtains around and all that. Yeah. They pull back. yeah. <laughs> when you get to the TV, they open up a grow bag. They t- <laughs> it is, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> she, she, she's, she's, I don't know. She's <laughs> grow, grow some nice tomatoes in there. <laughs> <laughs> I can read the doctor to see it back up and say she's not ripe yet. <laughs> oh God, you're right. It did look like a grow bag, didn't it? But in, in the book, was, was it more like a like a more like a like an operating? Yeah, table, that's what wasn't I mean. It? It just, yeah, you just sort yeah. of imagined it being the sort of plastic, clear plastic sheets. You know that you sort of get around oxygen tents, sort of things. Yeah, that's what you sort of. That's that. That's what I was. That's at least what I was imagining from the book. Yeah, <laughs> you thought that must have been easier to have done that. <laughs> They're filming an episode of Angels or whatever it was at the same time. They could have nicked a, a could have a borrowed, borrowed a gurney or something, couldn't they? Yeah, yeah. Oh god. But there was another um, thing in this as well, and it, it just reminded me of the other contribution that's derided um, from Pip and Jane Baker. It's um, you know they come up with the megabyte modem. In time, in the time of the run, or it was time of the run, it wasn't it? Um, this way, everything's on audio tape. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's, it could have, it's in the future, but it was using audio tape. <laughs> <laughs> now, for Christ's sake, CDs are out then. Couldn't they just say that it was recorded onto a CD? If, yeah. if, if that is as far as their mind was going to go, at least it would try and keep up with, with the then modern <laughs> technology. <laughs> no, so. no, no, I think things are going to go backwards. Exactly. Yeah, so. <laughs> So we're trying to fit all this onto a C ninety. <laughs> we've got the we've got everything on tape. Unfortunately, it's a Betamax, and we've only got a VHS. <laughs> oh god! But another thing I thought was really peculiar, and I mean, I, I sort of picked on this in the bottom. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong here, Paul, but there is no description of the Doctor at all in this book. There's usually at one point if you, if you read like one of one of like Terence Dick's target novelizations he always gives a description of the doctor so you know which one you're actually reading about so if it was tom bake you talk about you know the, the wide eyes and the brown curly hair and and the long scarf or something and if it was pert we talk about the white hair and the the smoking jacket and it's davison it's the pleasant open face yeah there you go there you go but in this there's nothing <laughs> no. there's, there's not a mention about um I'm sure it does mention his his coat, doesn't it, at some point? But that's it. There's no mention of his appearance, his physical no. appearance. There's nothing in this at all. It's it's peculiar. It really is peculiar. Um, I'm not going to have to go back and look that now to see. Yeah, oh, no, I'm, I'm, I'm not really quite go sure. Back. No, I don't want to go back and read this again, actually. But um, I'm quite sure there is no actual dis- no proper description of the Sixth Doctor. Which no, I, 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 I think I probably agree with everything you said there. There's a couple of other bits, though, that this book... Getting... Oh, I've got a couple of other bits as well, yeah. Carry on, carry on, yeah. One thing, one of the things I hated, I didn't hated, I hated about this book, <laughs> um, was the fact that you saw these bits that were almost descriptive spoilers of what was coming. All right, okay, one go on. Thing. 
There's the thing where the sentry on the door mm. he hears the noise and then yeah. he's called back yeah. to stand by the door. And you get the, well, ironically, the resentful sentry would never appreciate that the reprimand had forestalled his extermination. <laughs> and you think, you don't need that. Just let it happen. Oh, no, exactly. What's the point of putting that in? That's, that's then there was, ridiculous, isn't it? Yeah, and then there was other bits. There was, there was bits... I'll, I'll read a couple out to you. As, oh, as oh, do you have to? <laughs> right. I've got to relive the horror. <laughs> right, this, this, this was towards the end of scenes and whatever you get. Yeah, these little pa- these little sentences, paragraphs at the end, which are like the beam of light was immediately extinguished. The pulsate, the the pulsating <laughs> of the awakened pods subsided, but for how long? Had Enzu unwittingly begun a process that would not be halted? And then a bit later on, you get the doctor still reclining lazily. Notice the opaque goggles of Enzu following Mel's progress. If he did, he gave no sign. Right. And then you get the and what or who was in the isolation room? These are the questions the doctor would have posed had he been party to the exchange. But he, uncharacteristically, was not asking questions at all. <laughs> and I just think, what are, what, these are just not set in the scene. They're not doing anything. And actually. <laughs> After the first couple, I found myself, for whatever reason, reading them in the similar voice to the the bits at the end of the Charlie Farley and Piggy Malone stories <laughs> when they, when it was you know the who is the blind man? <laughs> Will the farmer's wife get her oats in the morning? <laughs> and hearing that music coming in, so I sort of ended nearly every paragraph of this book <laughs> humming. <laughs> Music to the Charlie Farley Bigger Malone stuff, <laughs> which was quite distracting, but actually quite pleasant. Oh all the time. god! It was like a little palate clean and stuff before well, the next. Paragraph. I, I I actually had a um, a similar experience to this, right? When I got to chapter nineteen of this book, okay, the title of this chapter is called "A Whiff of Death," right? And that just thought that's a Police Squad episode title, isn't it? <laughs> Yeah. So the, the pong of doom, the stench of fear. <laughs> that is police squad. It's a police squad in colour, a whiff of death. <laughs> the TARDIS land and crashing to a dust. Exactly. <laughs> I, I'm trying to think of other, other sort of titles on the on the theme of whiff of death, and I I I, 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 I just run out of pong of doom and the stench of fear, and I sort of tried to do, and then my last one, which is which was appalling, with nose annoyance of kicking the bucket. So. <laughs> But yeah, it, it, what that just—I just burst out laughing over that episode, that, that chapter title. It, that just said "Police Squad" to me. It really <laughs> did. But um, now we've gone all the way through this review so far without talking about the Vervoids. Yes. Um, we had to wait till after nine. <laughs> we have. We're after the watershed now, aren't we? <laughs> um, now there's a there's a description. Um, of the vervoids in the book. And there's one bit, uh, the bit I sort of picked up on. It said, the biped's head was sculpted like a closed ivory, ivory brown bud. And I thought, no, they don't anything look like anything like that at all, do they? No. No. Um, it was meant to look like a rosebud, I think, in the, in, in the thoughts of the bakers. I'd have thought this, that's, what they was look, that's how they imagined these I the heads think, of these I think creatures. So. Um, but what did we get? Yeah, well, I, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm, I'm gonna sort of, um, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna paraphrase um, Oliver Twist now, actually. Mm-hmm. Sort of like 
Say it's like you and me, right? We, we were the parts of, of but say we're Oliver Twist and his brother or something, right? So look upon these two straight, these two poor ways, Paul and Phil. And won't you look upon the picture and won't you agree their faces look just like Fanny's? <laughs> so, so, so there you are. That's what we got. They don't look like ivory brown buds yeah. whatsoever, do they? No. So, <laughs> as, as, as was pointed out when we said we were going to be doing this. <laughs> that was a rather interesting picture to put on the front of a kid's book. It was, wasn't it? Yes. That was a very, very interesting picture to put up. And um, look, I've got, I've got the Wikipedia entry um, here, and it says um, Nathan Turner was also displeased with the appearance of the Vervois, likening them to Labia. <laughs> yeah. So. <laughs> oh, dear. You just, just got the feeling that everybody on this, everybody on this, just when they got the scripts and whatever, just went, oh. No one's gonna like this. Let's go to the town. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Let's, let's just let's just do some sex organs on legs. <laughs> see, see what we can get away with here, because no one's ever gonna watch it again. No. <laughs> now, do you know what the one thing I had forgotten about was the vervoids were man-made. When I was once reading this, I completely forgotten about that that aspect. Mm-hmm. I thought they were just something they'd um, sort of smuggled on board. I completely forgotten about that that whole uh, plot point. It doesn't really make a lot of sense, does it? That all of a sudden, as soon as they're born, they want to wipe out mankind, and it's um, some and it's some sort of gene- genetic imprint. No, uh, no, actually, no. I, I, I quite, quite, I, I thought it was actually. If we can have an argument, first bit, first bit of the podcast, we can have an argument about. <laughs> I think it was. I think it goes back to what you would say is, and what they say there is the fact that this is the first real plant life that could actually take revenge. If you think that an- on animals. Which you think animal, all animals tend to... But, but, but that's, that's my point, though. Why? It's just been created. Why would it want to take its revenge on humankind? But it would or be an, carrying... animal kind, I'd say. Animal kind. It, presumably, it'd be carrying some sort of genetics from the, the plants that have made it. So, so now we're assuming that plants can actually feel and remember... Well, if we've if we've got to a point that, yeah, <laughs> oh, no. I mean, oh come on! I'm just if playing devil's advocate. Born, here. They've just only just been born and they're speaking. Where do you want to go? With <laughs> and they're walking. Yeah, exactly. They didn't do the breastfeeding or the crawling or anything, did they? So. They've come out fully formed. <laughs> uh, no, it, it just seems to be a bit come out fully fanned. Fully fanned. <laughs> I think we're going to have to put the, lose our clean rating on this particular <laughs> podcast, to be honest. But <laughs> oh dear, no, it, it just didn't seem to, to me. It didn't make any a lot of sense. Why would they have this sort of this genetic memory of you know? Considering they they were actually born it's, in a laboratory, and oh, I don't know. It just didn't. It's no, yeah, but it, you take it if you take it that all if you, animal life basically comes with it some there is always some sort of genetic memory built in i mean it's it's almost like that thing when when um there's anything to do with cloning yeah and and that clone is always mysteriously uh, created with the memories of the person it's supposed to be uh, it's cloned from which is nonsense so this is if you're gonna or if you're gonna go to to people feeling i mean if you go to um the lazarus project yeah. And you get it basically turns into a creature that um, has the DNA dead ends mm. brought into to, brought to life. I suppose you're, what you're saying is this is what happens. 
if if animal has that, then can plants have that? And if plants have that, this is where it would be going. Hmm. I'm still not sold on it. <laughs> I'll take your point, but I'm still not sold on it. I'm still not sold. And on there it. are plants that are. I mean, we don't know. We don't know where these. I mean, if they, if they if they were at any point the sort of um, flycatcher plants or whatever, they'd have that. Hmm. Wanting of killing animals, yeah, perhaps, perhaps you you have got plants that do that. So it it just it's just weird that we are filling in the blanks for a book that should have filled in the blanks with the TV serial. Well, I mean, anyway. I mean there's a lot more easier blanks they could have filled in let's, let's than, than this. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. I mean the fact that I mean, yeah, in the fact in the book that you get the Do you know what I think you the, get the, one of the plants yeah. answering Janet when she goes into Kimball's room mm. and she doesn't realise that's not Kimball. Yeah. I mean not, not only can they speak and what they can do impressions. <laughs> yeah, they do they do copy his voice in the book. <laughs> so I mean these are multi talented. These are, you know Oh they are. They should be on the stage. But do you know what though? I think to Q's got talent. I don't know. <laughs> well, do you know what? I think that um, the Vervoids are completely superfluous to this plot, or to this story, I should say, because they, they, they're sort of dealt with right at the very end. They're, they're not really a threat until the very end. Yeah. And you've got all these other things, the hijacking, you've got the, 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 uh, the, the murders being committed. That's enough, really. The Vervoids aren't really, don't really do anything to sort of further that partic- those two particular st- uh, plot strands along, do they? Yeah, like I said, I think they just got two... <clears throat> they, they came up with these three clever ideas that they could put together. Or, or, or it's that it, they had the two and they thought, oh, no, we've got to have a monster. Yeah, and it just got lost. It just yeah. totally got lost. Yeah. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, I mean, I, I haven't really got anything else to, to, to say about this other than the fact it's bloody awful. Um, and I wouldn't recommend this book to anyone. No. That, do you know, I think that's the first time I've actually said that? Even, even the books we haven't been particularly liked, we still say, yeah, go ahead and read it. Yeah, there's been the odd bit that we've, we've gained from it and said, oh, well, that, that, that was quite interesting, though. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was just weird. That's just weird. It? Yeah, like um, um, the twin, the twin dilemma. dilemma. Yeah. Uh, Destiny just of the Daleks for another, was another yeah. one as well. It wasn't particularly great. Um, but this, this one, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't no, recommend this to anybody. Had to, no redeeming features. No, none whatsoever. Other than it was better than the TV series, <laughs> at least the—I mean, there was—I don't know if it was actually. I don't know if it was now or not. <laughs> no, it's not. They're both equally as awful. They—they uh, they really are. <laughs> there is no redeeming features in these whatsoever. Oh. <laughs> the book was visually better, but the TV TV episodes were quicker to get through. I don't know which. Yes, <laughs> indeed, indeed. <laughs> oh dear. So on that note, should we leave that there? Yes, please. Yes, please. And never pick it up again. No, exactly. We just forget all this one ever happened. <laughs> okay, everybody. So uh, next week we're back to our Series 2 retrospective. Yes. And, um, oh, crikey. It's another fun and remembered episode, The Idiot's Lantern. Yes. Talking to Mark Gatiss earlier on in the I was news. Oh, yeah. Yes. Well, give him a chance. Should we give him a go at seeing if he can do <laughs> should, we, should we give him another chance next week, yes. shall we? Okay, then. We'll, we'll do that. We'll do that. Okay, everybody. So, uh, yeah, that's what's coming up next week. So uh, that's what science to look forward to, isn't it? Hmm. 
Hmm. Anyway. <laughs> it is after this. Yeah, after this. It's a nice palate cleanser, isn't it? So. <laughs> Anything. <laughs> okay, everyone. So, for another week, then, it is goodbye from me, Phil. And goodbye from me, Paul. Goodbye. Will Tony ever appear on this podcast again? Will Paul ever do anything on his own? Will Phil stop annoying other podcasts? Tune in next week to Stop My Ears Are Bleeding. to the Who's He podcast. Please visit our website at who's-he-podcast.co.uk. You can also follow us on Twitter at who's underscore he underscore podcast. And please also join the Who's He podcast Facebook group. The Who's He podcast is a member of the Doctor Who Podcast Alliance. Mm-hmm.